All right, we are in 1 Kings chapter 3. I want to point this out. We actually gave this at the very start of this. Uh, this is a little booklet that Taylor from our church made. It's called Prophets and Kings. The idea is if you want to know, we went through First and Second Samuel. If you want to know the timeline of when this took place, where this took place, uh, how do First and Second Chronicles kind of overlap with Second Samuel and now Kings? There's a lot of overlap between the two. As we've been working our way through the books, you kind of see that. So I want to point this out because what we're doing is we're looking at 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and 1 Kings. We're looking through these three books as kingdom united because we're going to see that it was one, 12 tribes under one kingdom. And we're going to see in chapter 11, after Solomon's death, we're now approaching Solomon, we're going to see a kingdom divided. So the idea is we're kind of seeing how all the, if you've ever struggled with like Old Testament timeline, when did this happen? Who is the king? What kingdom? There's a north and south. How does this work? Um, this is somewhat helpful and we'd love to point you to that. And just so you can kind of read and follow along with us. Um, here is the idea as we walk through this. Uh, the whole idea of the Samuels, the kings, it's supposed to create a longing with our heart of a better king, of a greater king. It's basically saying, look at these kings. Some have been Okay. Some have been pretty good. A lot have been terrible. And as we kind of walk through this, it's like it's supposed to create this longing for, is there a better king to come? Because with the, the true king comes the, the true kingdom. And there is the son of David who will sit on his throne forever. And we're going to see David passes down the throne to Solomon. We'll be looking at Solomon today. But he passes down his kingdom and you go, but Solomon kind of got it wrong. So where is this king that will sit on his kingdom forever, sit on his throne forever? And we see ultimately, yes, this is fulfilled in King Jesus. But the point of going through these books, there's many points actually. One, the author of Romans says it's written for our example, for our learning, for our instruction. The other idea is just to create this idea of, remember what Jesus said in John 5, when you read the scriptures, they testify of me. So it's like, how do we see Jesus? How do we see the gospel? How do we see how there are certain things that kind of play out in the kingdom? As we approach 1 Kings today, we actually threw this out on social media. We said, hey, read chapter one and two. There's a lot of narrative. We're gonna see, you saw the death of David. You see him raise up Solomon. You see the kingdom almost be divided for a little bit. One of his other sons tries to take over. Eventually, you're gonna see in chapter three where we land, Solomon is the true king. Nathan is behind him. The prophets are behind him. David's behind Solomon's the true king. And Solomon here in chapter three is like, I need help, God. I need wisdom. It's a very famous passage. You might remember it, but we'll look at it more in depth. It's basically God saying, Solomon, what do you want? And he's like, uh, I want and need wisdom. Now, the reason, again, why I'm bringing this up, and I just want you to follow along with us, is throughout, as we work through this, we're going to be posting throughout the week, like, get caught up or read this section. So stay tuned with us. We kind of want to walk through some of the more descriptive things uh, and the passages where we have a little bit more, um, maybe, prescriptive things, things for us to live by and do. So anyways, uh, would love for you to get this. It's on the way out. Grab this. We'll have a new one soon because this goes through 1 Kings 11, and then we'll look at kingdom divided because right now it's one kingdom, but it won't be for very long. All right. You guys with me? Yes? No? Okay. So here we are in 1 Kings. Basically, from the time of David's death till basically the, the kind of the, the kingdom falling apart, really, the kingdom's falling apart. It's 370 years. We see Solomon now ruling and reigning. You could say some of the points, like here's some words to kind of give you for first and second kings, uh, four W words. You're going to see worship, word, weakness, wonder. Worship, word, weakness, wonder. Worship, word, weakness, wonder. You can say that. But worship, it's basically saying um, here's what true worship looks like because you're going to see the, the counter of that. There's a lot of idolatry, something else being God. We're going to see Solomon's downfall. Solomon begins to worship the gods of his wives. Uh, we're going to see this idea of 
uh, the word, the prophets, Elijah, Elisha. We're going to see in First and Second Kings later, just these prophets come on the scene and just speak forth the word. Not only that, but they bring like a lot of wonder. We're going to read a lot of miracles that take place during this time. And obviously, you're going to see a lot of weakness, a lot of brokenness, a lot of turmoil, a lot of suffering. And we're going to see what happens when God is not on the throne, when he is not the head. When Jesus or God is not on the throne, do you see the kingdom really fall apart? And so there's these kind of like lessons that we want to learn from, take away from. We want to see Jesus in the passage. So we're going to read 1 Kings chapter 3. Um, the title today is simply, What You Really Need, and that's wisdom. What do we really need? What do you really want? What we want and what we need is two different things. What we're going to see here is what we desperately need is wisdom. And uh, just praying for this this week, I need wisdom on a lot of topics. <laughs> I need wisdom on a lot of matters. I think I really, I see my desperate need for this, and I hope, I hope you do as well. So why don't we just pray, and let's kind of just invite the Lord to lead and, and guide us in this time. Father, we just want to say thank you. We thank you that you are all those things we sing, that there is no one like you. God, that you spoke and the world was created, that there is power in your name, that you are so mighty, you're so holy, you're so wonderful that, um, Lord, we are here not just to read and walk away and forget, but Jesus, we want this to be an act of worship. We ask that you would speak to our hearts. God, we ask that you would just produce much fruit in us. Lord, that we would truly just be able to come here, slow down our day, our week, and just say, speak, Lord. We're listening. And so Lord, we ask that you would just accomplish your will in us. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for everyone in here. God, I have no idea the details of their week, what's going on. They might be encouraged. They might be discouraged. But I just ask that you'd speak to them, that Holy Spirit, you'd meet them, you'd comfort them, you'd correct and convict and exhort, Lord, that your, your will would be done just here in this place. So we thank you, Jesus. I just want to praise you now in your wonderful name. Amen. I obviously want you kind of for a second just to imagine what we're about to read is going to happen to you, which is imagine in the middle of the night, you are sleeping, God appears to you, and ask what he asked Solomon and says, ask, like, what can I give you? What do you want? Imagine truly if God's like, what can I do for you? Almost like a blank check. Hey, you have a blank check. What do you want? Like, what can we do? It's such an overwhelming thought because I think in some ways we think like we would do what Solomon would do. We'd ask for the holy and virtuous thing. I don't know. Would you? You know, how would we really respond to this? God's like, hey, what do you want? Like, oh, where do I begin? Like, how would you respond to that? You know, it's just obviously in preparation for this, I asked my children, because that's what I do. I'm like, hey, if God were to show up to the middle of the night, I asked Kinsley first and Mike, and they're both there. I'm like, Kinsley, she's three. If God were to show up and ask you, what do you want? What would you say? Without hesitation. She's like, a unicorn! And then she just went off, and why a unicorn? And I'm like, that's, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's, you know, what a three-year-old would ask. And Mike is like, ooh, I know. I'm like, do you? He's like, I would ask for wisdom. I'm like, mm. He's like, yes. Because I want wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. I'm like, you are, you little pastor kid. That's not, I think it's because Christmas was in his mind. And he's like, Luke 2.52 says that. I'm like, uh, yeah, I know. Okay. He was try, trying way too hard. I'm like, I don't think you'd ask for that. Let's be honest. You're a little liar. Um, but I appreciate it. I like the idea. <laughs> but just the idea of like, what would we really say? Here's what I need. God doesn't even say, what do you need? He's like, ask and it'll be given. It's unbelievable this moment Solomon has. I can't imagine this idea of, like he's, think about how he's overwhelmed with this transition. His dad is essentially his, God's choice of the king. Yes, there was King Saul, that's man's choice, but there's King David. King David brings all 12 tribes together. Like David is the man. Now here's Solomon, one of his many sons. 
and say, hey, you're going to lead the kingdom. I'm like, uh, okay. You're, I know your dad was a mighty warrior, a poet, wrote scripture. What are you going to do? It's like overwhelmed. And basically he's like, I need wisdom. And what we're going to see here in 1 Kings 3, like right after kind of some rebellion stuff takes place, we're going to see that Solomon really does lack wisdom. And what he'd asked for is wisdom. And then we're going to see an example given of his wisdom being displayed with these two prostitute women who come to them. I mean, again, you know this passage, you probably heard this passage. It's funny because like sitcoms, movies, they've mentioned some of this this passage actually specifically. And I just want to walk through it because I think there's a lot more wisdom here than we realize. And I want to see it. But the thing I want to preface it with is is this. Um, Solomon, he's such a conflicted character. Like, it's so hard. Solomon, in many ways, we read, he loves the Lord. He asks for wisdom, he's given wisdom. But I love what one author said about him, Frederick Buchner. He says, King Solomon was among the wisest fools who ever wore a crown. I think that's very true. He's one of the wisest fools who ever wore the crown. Because you're going to see at the end in chapter 11, not not very long, just chapter 11, we're going to see basically Solomon pursue the gods of his wives. Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs. Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes. Solomon, who offers us so much wisdom literature. And you see him be one of the wisest fools. And we see that wisdom has to be backed by a lot of other things as we read kind of the next few weeks. You'll see kind of the development of Solomon. It's not just wisdom, but it's so much more than that. So we'll look at this. Uh, here's how we're going to break this text up. Here's what we see in verse, this, chapter 3. We're going to see the lack of wisdom, the ask for wisdom, the use of wisdom. All right, you ready? The lack of wisdom, the ask of wisdom, the use for wisdom, or the use of wisdom. All right, so let's look at the first thing, the lack of wisdom. Solomon does lack wisdom, and we see that clearly here in the first few verses. Let's read. First Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Here's Solomon. It says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. First red flag. <laughs> he made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Solomon is going to be that builder type. He's going to expand Jerusalem and Israel in many ways. The people were sacrificed in the high places. However, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord, uh, it says, verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only, notice that, he loved the Lord. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Look at why that matters. Verse 4, and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. All right, uh, first of all, the lack of wisdom. Obviously, right away, it kind of introduces Solomon. And Solomon's name actually comes from this word of like peace. Solomon in Hebrew, it's really closely attached to the word peace. Solomon's kingdom is pretty peaceful, and he does it through some um, unusual means. Solomon's like, I want to be at peace with everyone. I'm just going to marry every king's daughter. You guys know that Solomon has 700 wives, 300 concubines. We'll read about that later. Solomon's way of getting peace was basically by intermarrying. And we're going to see that goes so right away. This goes against God's word, goes against scripture. God made it clear that the king was not to do this. The people of Israel were essentially not to do this. I'll throw a couple of verses up here. It's Deuteronomy 7.4. God warns them. It says, if you like intermarry with the nations around you, he says, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. This is what happens. He's saying, based as you intermarry, or as you kind of marry women who don't have the same mindset, same belief system, they're going to turn your heart away. Another verse, I just want to use this, it's Deuteronomy 17. It's actually written to the king. He goes, I know you're going to have a king one day. Here's what I'm asking the king to do. So speaking of Solomon, Solomon basically does exactly what it says not to do. Deuteronomy 17. It says, when you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations that are around me. 
The king shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said, you shall not return that way again. Like, don't go back to Egypt. Neither shall uh, he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Solomon does all of this. He multiplies horses, marries the Egyptian, marries other women. Uh, you see him multiply gold. The, the idea was basically God saying, I don't want you to do what all the other kings are prone to do, which is they stop trusting in me and they start trusting themselves and their resources. They're trying to maybe multiply their horses or silver or gold. God's like, I just want you to do this differently. They're, you might have a king, but I'm the true king. Solomon basically does everything it says in Deuteronomy 17 not to do what the king should do. This is very important to the heart of God. The heart of God is this, basically. He's saying, hey, um, and you guys know this. For all the married couples, you know this. I mean, who you marry is the most important decision you're ever going to make outside of your decision to follow Jesus. So who you marry is incredibly important. And we know this. And the idea of Scripture, the New Testament uses this phrase, and I just want to clarify, the New Testament kind of plays off this same idea and says, hey, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The idea is um, it really matters who you marry, same mindset, same belief system, same values. Not that you have to agree on everything, but like, do you have the most important thing in common? Do you have the values that stem from, from the ultimate source? Do you worship and serve the same king? Everyone worships something. Everyone serves something. Whether you're religious or not religious, the idea is like everyone has something they serve and worship and give their time and energy and money to. The point is that must, we must have that in common. And Solomon's going to basically enter into many marriages with women who don't have that in common. And we really see right away this kind of like divided heart that's happening in Solomon. He's such a, it's so hard. Solomon's mentioned, I think, 300 times uh, in the Old Testament. I think 20 times in the New Testament. He's mentioned a lot. And it's hard, not necessarily the king, like, here's who you want to follow. He's incredibly wise, yes. But he makes a ton of mistakes along the way. The point I want us to see is it says, actually, in verse 3, he loved the Lord. Like, he loved the Lord. Beautiful. But it's kind of like a failed love half-hearted love, divided love. Like he loves the Lord, but he also loves these women, and then he eventually loves what they love. And we know that there's this idea of just, hey, it really matters, again, who you decide to do life with. And we obviously have to consider that. And there was a lack of wisdom. And now, thankfully, he's going to acknowledge that and ask for it and be given it, but he doesn't always act on it. And we're going to kind of see this thing happening within him. Actually, this is interesting to me, because if you notice, it says he took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David to finish building the building. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 8, verse 11 gives commentary on this. Notice this. It says, my wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, referring to Pharaoh's wife, because the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. Like, so she doesn't believe in the God of Israel, the ark of the covenant. That's where God's presence dwelt. That's essentially where man met with God. That's what's symbolic for. And it's like, I'm not even gonna let her near that. Uh, That's a big red flag. (laughs) Like, I'm not even gonna let her near my church, basically. Like, she's just, no. Um, This is just not a good thing. We just see it right away. So there's this conflict in him. Now, I have to say this. Um, Solomon, in many ways, does start off pretty well. Again, I love this about the scriptures. The scriptures are not like, here's someone who's good, here's someone who's bad. It's very, like, there's very, there's nuances. King David, you're like, oh my gosh, in so many ways he gets it right, in so many ways he gets it terribly wrong. And there's a lot of nuances. There's a few kings in the Bible, I think there's six kings that have like a positive light, two with a really good positive light, but there's not a, there's just, you see these characters where it's very nuanced. And here's what we see Solomon. Solomon, in many ways, even though he got this wrong with marrying the daughter of Pharaoh, even though he marries many women, he does love the Lord. He does offer sacrifices to God. He does seek God. God does speak to him. He does listen. 
there's some things that are going well. We just gotta, I do want to acknowledge, I want to paint him only in a bad light. There's some things he's getting. But here's how the scriptures really put this. Solomon wrote to write this, like, listen to this. Solomon writes this himself. It's not really how you begin, it's how you finish. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8. He says, uh, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. He ends up writing actually in the same chapter. He goes, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. He's basically saying, hey, it doesn't really matter. Like, it, it's not just how you start, but it is how you finish. I'm so thankful you are here. You're like making an effort saying, you know, I know all of you might not believe in God. Some, many of you do, but the idea is like you're saying, hey, I, I want the Lord. I'm pursuing him. That's beautiful. And like you're on this journey of following Jesus. You're on this journey of like, I want to follow God's ways, not my ways. I'm done. I've done it myself. And it's only led to more and more pain. Like, Lord, that's why I'm here. Because not my way, not my will, but your will. And that's so beautiful. And I'd say, um, it's so important. Continue in that. Fight for that. Because it's not about how you start. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. It so matters how we can day in, day out of following Jesus. That's why in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself daily and pick up the cross and follow me. Very thankful that word is thrown in there. He's like, hey, you want to follow me? It's going to be daily, man. And there is that idea of like, good, good job. You start off with Solomon, many ways, start off well. Making sacrifices to God, doing these things. But it's, there's some, you know, divided heart happening here. If you notice, it says he loved the Lord, and it says only he offered it on the high places, if you caught that. The high place is essentially a term that's used where, um, think, if you go to Israel today, if you go to Greece, if you go to certain parts of that, kind of like the Middle East, if there's a mountain or a hill, there probably was an altar there at one point in time to a certain God. That's just the way it is. Like, still, you can go to Greece, and they're like, look at that mountain. That's where that God was worshipped. Like, any hill, any, any high place, there's some sort of form of worship. Uh, God's ways were different than that. But Solomon, in some ways, is like kind of blending the two together, you can see. He's offering it to the Lord, but he's kind of doing what they did, doing it on the high places, rather than where God designed it, which was at the tabernacle, which would be eventually the temple in Jerusalem. And so if Solomon's going to ask for wisdom, and what we're going to see is he gets laser-focused, like Jerusalem. My father just told me to build a temple in Jerusalem. We saw that in First Chronicles 28. Dad said, like, you need to build a house for God. And we're going to eventually see him go, oh my gosh, wisdom gives him this need to do that. So first and foremost, we see this lack of wisdom. Let's now jump into like the main story, verse 5. We're going to see the ask for wisdom. Let's read verse 5. Fascinating story. Maybe you're familiar with this or not. Let's, let's read it. Chapter 3, verse 5. It says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask, what shall I give you? That's it. And Solomon said, You've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. Because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept him from this great and steadfast love and gave him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted by multitude, for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Verse 10, and it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you've asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked. 
Isn't that beautiful? I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood. So he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered a burnt offering and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Wow. So much is happening there. Zach Gibeon, offering sacrifices, has a dream. God appears to him. Ask, what shall I give you? Again, I can't fathom this. Like this is all, whenever like you hear the Lord speak and like I see it in quotes or something, I'm like, I want to focus on that. Like, God, what are you saying? He's like, hey, ask. There's so many questions around this, but he's just saying, Solomon, I want you to ask. Obviously, the Lord knows what he's going to ask for. And I want to like talk about that in a second. But he's like, hey, ask. Solomon's like, you know what? You've been so faithful to my dad. <sighs> These people before me, there's a lot of them. Too many to count. <laughs> this is hard. I ask for a discerning mind. I, I ask to know how to lead them, how to govern. Uh, that's what I need. And obviously, this pleases God. Now, I just want to stop for a second because, like, I want to see there's, there's this idea in scriptures that you and I are to ask God for things. That's a beautiful thing. I'm very thankful God's like, hey, ask. Ask. There's something so beautiful about prayer where God's like, I actually want you to ask. I, w- I want you to talk to me. Hey, what is it you need? What do you want? There's something incredibly profound about this. There is this idea that you should ask, seek, knock, pursue. Actually, James really capitalizes off this. And I want to look at this in just a second. But James says, hey, he actually, to me, literally has Solomon in his mind. James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give liberally and freely without reproach. He goes, but let him ask in faith. Do not doubt. There is this idea in the New Testament that I really believe is picking off, off this idea. Think about this. Um, how do you get wisdom? Let me just add it, put it that way. How do you get wisdom? You're like, you just read read. Yeah, that's true. You can read the Proverbs, read, read scripture. Absolutely. How do you get wisdom? It seems that there is this way of getting wisdom that is very unique. The New Testament, it's not Old Testament. The New Testament is saying, hey, you want to know how you get wisdom? Ask. Ask in faith. You serve a God who wants to give you wisdom liberally, freely, without reproach, without any strings attached. How beautiful is that there is a promise to us today for a very similar thing like Solomon's experiencing. When I read this, I have to see James, and I have to see this new covenant we have. This idea, in, there's a promise in Jeremiah 31, 31, that God would one day not write his laws on tablets of stone, but on our hearts. And this idea that there is wisdom in that. And James says, you want wisdom, you ask God, God will give it to you. I just have to start here. We desperately need wisdom. I think the older I get, the more I'm like, I need wisdom. There's not always like this playbook. Like I love the Bible. The Bible's beautiful. And the Bible doesn't necessarily give us necessarily a manual. It gives us Emmanuel, God with us, right? Sometimes there are things like, uh, what can I do here? It's like, is there a right or wrong? You're like, I don't know. Yes, could be right, could be wrong. What? There are certain times we just need wisdom. We need God with us. There are certain times we just need wisdom that comes from above. Think about this. Who here lacks wisdom? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, I'm like kind of curious. Okay. He goes, so ask. That is unbelievable. This encounter Solomon's having with God, I think God wants to have with us. Like, I don't want to just read this and go, wow, this is really cool a couple thousand years ago. I actually want, I want to read this as a today. Like, God's like saying to you, hey, ask, what, what, what is it? Ask. What a beautiful thing that James says, hey, if you ask for wisdom, God will give it freely, without reproach. If you need wisdom right now, which I think maybe, maybe you do, I know I do, ask. 
And there's something about even asking. We're, we're given so many parables on this idea. Remember that persistent widow who goes to the judge and is like, give me justice, give me justice. And he's like, do, do it like that. God was like, do it like that. Ask. Go to me. Pursue. Be persistent. There are times we need wisdom. Now, this is not going to be a full in-depth Bible study on wisdom. James 3 talks about wisdom that comes from above versus wisdom from below. There's so many other passages I'd love to get into. Like, we'll probably do that as we unfold this because I want to read some of the Psalms. I want to read some of the Proverbs that Solomon writes himself. This won't be an exhaustive Bible study on wisdom. There's so many other ways, yes, to get wisdom, but let's just start with a simple one. We need to ask for it, okay? Yes, we can get it from in a multitude of counselors. There's wisdom. There's so many scriptures that talk about how to get wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So many things on wisdom we could talk about. But I have to start with this. You ask. If you were kind of in that cross, ask. There's a God who's like, I want to give it. Have you ever been around someone who's like, I have something I want to give it? It's like, I want to give it. Just ask. I want to give it to you freely. Now, here's what's beautiful. I want to kind of fast forward for just a second because then I want to go back. Because if you actually notice in verse 11 through 13, what does God say to him? He says, because you've asked this, and notice what God says, and have not asked yourself for long life or riches or for the, for the life of your enemies or kill my enemies, God, because you've asked for that. But you've asked yourself for understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. God's like, I give you wise and discerning mind so that none like you has ever been before and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. I want you to see this. God's like, good job. You asked for the right thing. So beautiful. You asked for what you needed to ask for. Because you've asked for a noble thing, like wisdom, I'm going to give you it. Here's why this matters. Uh, James actually says in James 4, 2, maybe you know this. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask and miss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Let's break that down. Why do some of us not have things? He's like, God's like, you don't have because you don't ask. I'm the kind of person that maybe bugs my wife sometimes and I'm like, I'm gonna go ask that person for like a free upgrade on the flight or whatever. She don't ask, that's embarrassing. I'm like, I'm gonna ask. I'm the person like, you have not because you ask not. I don't know, that's just me. That's my mindset, it's terrible. So I just do that for like a lot of things. Like, hey, do you ever, like, I don't know. Sometimes it's a no. Worst things is a no, right, honey? It's not a big deal. Um, but some, again, there's this idea of you have, you've not because you ask not. And then the idea is this. Well, what if I ask? Well, you ask and don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pledge on yourself. You're asking selfishly. You're asking for you. It's not for the, the greater picture. It's not for the kingdom. Obviously, God discerns and knows when you're like, no, but I really want to do this thing for the kingdom. God's like, no, I know your heart. That's for you. This idea, though, is so profound. Solomon genuinely is like, God, I'm in this place where I'm just overwhelmed. I'm outnumbered here. This is too great. I mean, I kind of try to write it like this way. Um, the storyline of the Bible so often seems to be, um, I'm too small. The problem's too great, but God is bigger. Like, that's such a big storyline of so many people. God, I'm small. This is a big task but our God is bigger. That's what Solomon's saying. He's like, God, I'm, just like, I'm like a little kid. I need help. I genuinely believe Solomon is asking just sincerely and beautifully. God's like, yeah, okay, beautiful. This is not so you can spend it on yourself. This is, he even says, he's so clear. It's not because you ask for a longer life or for riches or to kill your enemies. You ask for something so beautiful, noble. Yes, I'm gonna give you that and more. Isn't that insane? And it's not like Solomon's like, and it's funny because our hearts are so wicked. I'd be like, okay, like Micah, my son, whenever I ask him, it's like, oh, I know to ask for wisdom because that'll benefit me. Like we, we think that sometimes like we can maybe trick God. God's like, I obviously discern the heart. I know. I know why you're asking. I know what, what that really is about. And there's something about, Lord, just purify my heart, purify my heart. Give us clean hands, purify our hearts. I just feel like there's such a, James, James, by the way, the book of James and Proverbs, James is called the New Testament Proverbs. I feel like, so as I read the Proverbs, I read about Solomon, my mind just goes to James. They're, they're so parallel in so many ways, but there's so much wisdom. And I want you to just see this idea. God's like, hey, just ask, 
but ask not for yourself or your pleasures, but for the greater picture. Solomon's going, I'm thinking about your kingdom and I want to build your kingdom, but I cannot do without wisdom. And there's this beautiful idea of like, okay, awesome. You, you sought first me and the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added to you. We know this, right? Jesus picks up on this in Matthew 6, He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not yours, and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Why I say that? God's like, you ask for the right thing, you're also going to get glory, riches. You're also going to get all those other things. Here's the idea. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Solomon's seeking first the kingdom. The kingdom of God, not his. God, I need you. You need to do this. And all these other things will be added to you. And here's more. We don't ask, so it was like, come on, God, really give us me. I want the other. I really just want all the other added things unto me. Like, that's what I really want here. We're asking to miss. But if you ask and forget, God, I just want to seek first your kingdom. I just love this idea because you see this so, this is not just an Old Testament thing. You see this played out in the New Testament. You seek first me and my kingdom, I'll take care of everything else. Um, I don't want to get into this too much in depth. I remember when I was asking my wife for, or when I was my wife, asking my future father-in-law for permission to get married. I remember I sat down at the park. I'm just terrified, nervous. I'm like, oh gosh, Lord, like, what am I doing? I have to ask this guy if I can marry his daughter. He's going to beat me up. I don't know. I was just so nervous. And I, I was reading through the Gospel of Luke, and I remember I go to the park right before, because I asked him to play golf. That's where I asked him. And he's like, you don't play golf? I'm like, I know, but I just want to play today. Um, anyways, but, but before, I'm like, what am I doing? Um, I just remember going to the park, opening up my Bible, and I'm reading through Luke, and I come to Luke 12, which is the, the parallel of Matthew 6. And in Luke 12, it is that. In Luke 12, God's like, hey, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry. The flowers don't worry, and look how beautiful they are. Look, and he's basically saying, in Luke 12, 31, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. Listen, I know that can be a very cliche verse, but it kind of hit me. It's like, hey, Lord, it hit me. Like, if I'm really seeking first you, not just merit, if I'm seeking first you and your kingdom, you'll take care of the rest. And this is what we see with Solomon. God's like, yes, you asked for the right thing. I'll take care of the other things. The, the riches that other people would ask for, I'm like, no, I got that. All this, but it's like the intent was pure and beautiful. And like, yes, I, how do, so we have to get this mindset of like, no, we're truly not living for our kingdom here. How do we really build God's kingdom? That's what Solomon needs. I want to build the kingdom. This is what God has in mind. God, I need your wisdom. We are today doing this similar thing, but it's the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus calls it. And we're going, I want to build this kingdom. Lord, you'll take care of the rest. When I began to worry and fear about like, but Lord, how will we have a box truck and get the church going? Or how will we provide for a school or play? I'll say this, as we really just like, you know what? We're going to focus on making disciples of all. Like we're going to focus on doing, equip the saints, preach the word, go through it. That's like, God's like, I'll take care of the rest. God's just so faithful to do that. When I get obsessed with the other things, I miss it. I have to obsess over the king. Okay, God, kingdom. And God just truly takes care of the rest. But I notice when I try to take care of the other things, everything seems to fall apart because things are out of order. And this just goes so, it just is so parallel with life on a personal way and a global way. Like, man, just seek first the kingdom. We, we see this. And so and notice the, the approach in Heart of Solomon. Solomon's so beautiful. He's like, um, notice what he does. He, he talks about this idea of steadfast love twice in verse six. He's like, Father, he's like, God, I remember your steadfast love to my father, David. He says this twice. We'll put the verse up here, but your steadfast love, your steadfast love. The idea of that, remember this word? Whenever you see steadfast love, like, oh, this is cool. Just write like hesed in Hebrew. It's this covenantal love. It's this, this love that goes without... Um, compromise. It's love that says, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm in a covenant love with you. Like it, God, because of your covenant, please do this. He's, a, he's basically pleading for this covenant that he, we have with God. He's saying, based off this, God, please do it. It's like, why we go to God in prayer based off the covenant we have with Jesus. Meaning it's not like my, my job, my duty. 
I'm going to because of your steadfast love, your covenantial love, your, your love without partiality. Because of your steadfast love, God, will you answer this? Again, it's the love, it's like he approaches him through this love, love covenant. We approach God in some way, not because God owes us, God has to do something for us, but it's like, God, because of your steadfast love, I'm approaching you now. Because of what you've done, your steadfast love, your steadfast love. We approach God not because we love him, but because he loved us. It's like, oh, God. So he's going to God in prayer because of love. And then the humility is unbelievable. He goes, you have made your servant king in this place. He's like, I'm a servant. He says, I'm but a little child. He's like, I don't know how to do this. Again, I'm too small, task too big, but God, I'm trusting you're bigger. This is really his approach through this. Uh, John Golden Gay, I believe his name, said, the key to wisdom or discernment lies in having a listening mind and submitting one's thinking to God's way of thinking. This is, I think, he's, he's approaching God with this, like, God, I just need wisdom. I, I want to I listen. What is it you want? I believe you'd have me ask for wisdom. I'm going I'm to ask for this. Here's what I love. It says in verse 10. This is, to me, a huge point. It says, and it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. I, I have to, whenever the Bible talks about pleasing God, there's something like, I want to stop. Do our actions please God? God's like, oh, this pleases me that you're asking for this. Isn't it insane? I, I, don't, I try to word it this way, because obviously God knew what he would ask for. So like God's like, oh, I'm surprised you asked for wisdom, right? It's not, that's not going on. But here's what's beautiful in scripture. It seems that God's omniscience doesn't take away from his ability to experience pleasure or grief. Even though God knows how people will respond in the Bible, you can see that his pastors, it grieved the Lord or it brought him pleasure. So there's, it's not that it's like his, omnis- his omniscience or knowing without, it's not that it takes away, but I love that it just like enhances like, oh, yes, yes, good job. And probably even for his benefit, yes. Listen, um, our main goal in life is to please the Father. First Thessalonians 4 says that. Our aim is to please him. How do we please God? How do we please God? Simple question. How do we please God? Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. How do you please God? Faith. How do you please God? Just kidding, I, I'm trusting you. I'm looking to you. Not my resources, not my wisdom, not what I can do. You want to please God? He says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever believes that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently ple- uh, seeks him, God is pleased with that. That's what pleases him. Do you come to him and say, yes, Lord, I believe you can do this. Yes, God, I trust you. I look to you. This please the Lord, this act of faith. Solomon would later write, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. This is what Solomon does. It pleased the Lord. And we're going to see that there's going to be peace during Solomon, a very short time of peace with Israel and many nations around. This is what's happening. And notice this in verse 15. He wakes up and he immediately goes to Jerusalem and offers sacrifices to God. He goes to the right place, not in the high places. He goes to Jerusalem. He goes before the ark of the Lord. Even though the temple's not built yet, but he goes to the right place. He's like, I'm going to do this, God. Wisdom allowed him to see his need for true atonement. Here's what wisdom does. When you wake up and you go, oh my gosh, Lord, it's you. It's you. I need you. I need your wisdom. Wisdom wakes up to this realization that you and I need atonement. Wisdom says to you, hey, you have fallen short of the glory of God. You can never work your way to heaven. You can never be good enough. Know what you really need? You need a sacrifice. Someone's like, I got wisdom. I'm going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to make a sacrifice in the right place. True atonement. It's just wisdom right away. It's just waking up. Now, Solomon asks for wisdom. God gives him wisdom. Now, there's a story. It's a famous story. It's a well-known story, maybe overtold or maybe told, mis- mistold, but I want to read this story. There's an example of these two prostitutes that come to him, and it's a great story. Let's read it. All right. <laughs> the Bible's so great. All right, verse 16. We're going to see number three, the use, the use of wisdom. So Solomon's given wisdom. Now, here's how it plays out. 
Then two prostitutes, so it's over. Two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. The kids are three days apart and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in, that, uh, in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I arose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Verse 23. So the king's listening. Now he speaks. Then the king said, the one who says this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. <laughs> so clear. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. All right, this may seem simple. It's not so simple, but let's just kind of break this down. Obviously, this, this woman, unique story. Two prostitutes come before a king. I have to point this out. That's very unique that the king is gonna hear this issue or dilemma between two prostitutes. Probably not usually worth the king's time, but for this king, this humble king it is, which is really sweet. Let me hear. They shared the scenario. Obviously, we read it. I wake up and my son's dead, but it's not mine. That was hers, right? So here's the scenario, and we we see kind of what he gives. The, the thing I have to point out first and foremost, when it comes to wisdom, there's always a choice to be made. So here's where he's at. He has to make a tough choice. He has to figure out which one's the real mother. We need wisdom when we're at a fork in the road. Let's just kind of start there. If you've ever had like a decision life, like where do I go? And you're like, what does the Bible say? And you're like, well. Kind of just gives you wisdom. Sometimes we don't always have a clear-cut rule, but we have wisdom. This is the scenario. Like, for example, you guys know this, but um, think, think about today. Today, especially in the era you and I live in, in the West, in 2023, which is so crazy, we have more options than any person ever in human history, right? Like, really think about this. It wasn't until the last couple hundred years we can, like, choose our own spouse. Like, I actually want to choose my spouse. Like, okay, go ahead. Like, for thousands of years, basically every major decision in your life was given to you by someone else who you're going to marry, what job you're going to have. They usually follow your father's occupation. This idea of like who you're going to hang out with, like who you're going to associate with. Even to this day, if you guys know this, in, the, in most traditional cultures, still a lot of decisions, major life decisions, you're going to this school, you're going to marry this person. That's usually made from the parent or someone else. We live in a weird moment where it's very individualistic. It's not so much about the family. It's like, I get to make the choice. We're in the West. We're independent. We can do our own thing. So because of that, we have a lot of decisions. And then I talked to some people here who's like, I just wish someone else would choose for me who to marry. I'm like, oh, isn't that weird? A couple thousand years we did that. Um, but it's funny, we, ha we have so many decisions in front of us. So many, and you might, be, you might be right now in that place. Who do I marry? Where do I, do I move? Do I stay? Do I buy in this market? What do I do? Like, you have all these questions. Should I go to this school? That school? Like, what do we do? And you open the Bible and you're like, why is there not a verse on this? 
<laughs> and then you say, oh, like the Holy Spirit is with us, okay, and guides us and governs us, and I need that. And then James 3, wisdom comes from above, and it's first peaceable and pure, okay, like, okay. And here's what we do. A lot of times there's not a clear, explicit rule, but there is wisdom. But again, where do we get that wisdom? Where do we go to for wisdom? Notice this. Here's two prostitute women to go in before the king. They're seeking his wisdom. In many ways, there's like, let's go to a greater authority for wisdom. I need to go to some greater authority for wisdom. These women need wisdom from him. Here's the idea. Everyone goes to some sort of greater authority for wisdom. Like right now, many of you, and it's sad, I, I talked to so many people growing up where like the best parent in their home was Google, sadly. The questions they had on life, on sexuality, not mom, not dad, Google. We live in a really weird moment where what is our, and then who wrote those articles? What are you clicking on? Who, we have a weird ultimate source of authority. You understand this. You're always going to get direction from your life from, from that king, from that ultimate source of authority. We have to see for us in scriptures, there is this idea that if you get your ultimate source of direction, you know, the word, word wisdom even comes from training. This idea of wisdom is like this Hebrew word that comes like from training and put it, it actually means to put yourself under. But so many people decide to put themselves under something other than God when it comes to wisdom. And then they go, why is my life falling apart? Why am I unhappy? Why am I on antidepressants? Why am I always unhappy? Like, why is there so many things? And I'm not saying, my point of bringing this up is like, we live in a moment, like it's, the secular experiment has been tried and failed. We're the most suicidal, depressed, angry, bitter, toxic generation, it seems like. It seems like, what is going on? Because we want to try every other authority other than the authority of the true king. So I will come under some authority for wisdom. And it's failing time and time again. And then you see some Christians are like, hey, you actually seem to be like, like, not things aren't perfect, but what's going on? You have family, you have kids, like you're doing this, like what's going on? Well, I'm putting myself under the authority that created this and knows when he, when he says do this or don't do this, it's not because God is some killjoy, it's because he knows this will bring more joy. He knows it'll bring, it'll bring more life. God doesn't say avoid this because he's some killjoy. He goes, no, because I know that usually leads to this downward spiral of self-centeredness and seeking the next high, and you're kind of going to be a miserable person if that's your life's pursuit. My point is, we always go to some sort of king for authority, for direction, for wisdom. These women go to this king for wisdom. Good choice, I'll say, on their part. Awesome that the king is willing to listen to two prostitutes. That's an amazing king. It's like, it doesn't matter who you are. I want to give you wisdom. It doesn't matter what you've done. Most kings probably in this day and age would not have been like, yes, please bring the two prostitutes before me and let me speak into them. But this king does. Do we see him? Our king's like, I, of course I have time for anyone and everyone. What is it? Come to me. All of those who are weary, come. I want to hear. Pray to me. Talk to me. I'm listening. Do you know that you serve a God who's like, come on. Come on, come to me. So beautiful. This king listens. They go to him. For, but again, I cannot stress this enough. There's ultimately some source of wisdom that you and I are pursuing or going after. It's funny to me because, um, again, in, the scriptures can be bizarre. Can I put out a bizarre scripture? Can I just throw everyone off here really quick? Solomon writes this in Proverbs 20, uh, four, 26. <laughs> Solomon writes, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Huh? Ver back to back verses. What I love about scriptures is so often this happens. There, there seems to be like tensions in scripture. Like, what should I do? Should I answer a fool according to his folly? I don't want to be like him. But yes, you should. Huh? 
<laughs> there, there's, and it's not like, oh, the Bible's disagreeing. Like, no, this is the beautiful tension of Scripture. Maybe there's a point in time you do need to do an answer a person. Maybe there's a point in time you don't. How do you know? <laughs> Seek God. Be patient. Be wise. Lord, I need to look, look, pray over it. Am I doing the verse 5 part or am I doing the verse or 4 part or verse 5 part? What am I doing, Lord? There comes a point in time in Scriptures where we go, I need, I need an answer to this question. God, would you lead me? And God is like, I love this. The way Proverbs starts out, and by the way, you know, fun fact is he's saying wisdom is like a treasure in a mountain. How do you get treasure out of a mountain? You work really hard. You dig it out. You sweat. You labor. You toil. How do you get wisdom? Are you ready to put in the work? You're going to have to dig it out of the word. Like sometimes just be in this book. Like why isn't there like one verse that can point me to it? Like just dig it out. It's going to take some time. That's how Proverbs starts. You want wisdom? It's like treasure. It's like gold in a mountain. It's going to take a lot of work to get that out. God's like, put in the work, put in the time. Because know what happens? It's not so much about the answer. It's about the person who gives the answer. Because as you try to dig it out, you're like, oh, I don't really want the answer. I just want you. Oh, there you go. This happens so often throughout the scriptures. I thought I wanted something from God. I just wanted him. With him came everything else. And we see this happening. What's your ultimate source of authority and wisdom? For the women, they go to the king. What do you turn to? What is your king? What kind of wisdom and advice has he given you? Has it failed you? Maybe you have the wrong king. Maybe you need a new king. You guys follow me, yes? Maybe we need to try and, no, maybe this king that I'm serving, this ideology I'm serving, what my professor told, maybe this is not the wisest thing. Maybe I should actually look to the king of kings. Maybe I should turn to his, maybe I should try to seek it out and dig it out of the mountain. It's gonna take me some time. Maybe I should turn to this book. That is so clear and so important. One author said, if anything except Jesus is the true king of your life, the wisdom your life is operating on is actually foolishness on its own terms. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seem to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. This is so humbling. If you, and I'm not trying to put down anyone who did this. If you went to school, you got your degree, your master's, your PhD, and that is beautiful, and you became an expert, in, an expert in some field, awesome. Sometimes, though, we get trained in ideologies that are anti-Scripture, anti-Bible, and sometimes you have to go, okay, Lord, is this something I've been taught? Is this from you? And it's very, this is why the gospel is very offensive to people. It's saying you want wisdom, you've got to confess your lack of it. You've got to confess your need for it. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. But I studied for 15 years. I know. The, why, the reason I think why the Bible is so offensive at times is basically saying the humble are in, the proud are out. It's not so much the sinners are out or the good people are in, the bad people are out. No, it's saying the humble are in. And that could be anyone. The proud are out. There's this idea of God says, um, uh, that, the idea is if we come to him with humility, he will lift us up. But this idea of coming to him arrogantly, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6. So we have to come to him in this humility. Okay, Lord, my wisdom, foolishness. What do you have to offer? I'm willing to say everything I've been looking at or going to, it's not really led me down a helpful path. So I'm, I'm turning to you. And so what is that source for wisdom? Now, here's what's so crazy. I do believe these two women are a beautiful picture, actually. One is actually heavenly wisdom. One is earthly wisdom. One is incredibly wise. And just bear with me on this. I don't think the story is just saying Solomon's wise. I think Solomon is a crazy wise. But I think you see these two women, one is wise and one is foolish. Because what do we see with these two women? I'll, I, try to put the, I try to write it out this way. The first woman basically says this, the true mom, the first woman. She's like, you know what? Just give the child away. And in so doing, what does she get? The child. The second woman is saying she's seeking to take and in so doing has it taken away. Understand this. There is like this principle of the kingdom that is this. This is literally what the Bible describes. It basically says the way up is down. 
You want to find your life? Lose it. Huh? There are these, these terms in the scripture that's like the one who seeks to get and get and get and take and take and take. It has it taken away. The one who gives up and says, okay, surrender. That's usually the person who gets. There is this way to the kingdom that is so different than our world. The way up is down. The world says, no, the way up is up. You got to do it. Got to fight for it. Make it happen. The Bible is saying, no, no, sur- surrender. I'll say this. There's a sense of this woman, the first woman whose, whose son is dead. She goes to the king and she's like, no, I, I just, I'd rather have him live. It's not about my joy. It's not about my hope. It's about him having a future hope and a future joy. I'm going to put myself in a, in a painful, sacrificial spot. I'm going to live without my child, but it's worth it because the child will live. That is the gospel. This idea of like, I'm going to make the sacrifice. I'm going to put, this is the idea of Jesus is, do, do it. Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm going to give up my life so you can have life. I'm going to give up my joy so you can have joy. This idea of like, think about this. The child for her, it's either she's basically, to, has to give it up. In a sense, it's like ongoing pain and death for her. Living without her child, but it's worth it because the child's alive. David knew like that would like say, because here's a question. It's like, well, what if she's lying? What if she's mistaken? What if this first lady's mistaken? What if she, that really is her dead child? Again, but the, the, it belongs to the mom who goes, no, no, no. It's about the child's joy and the child's life and not mine. See, for the second mother whose child died, like the idol for her was motherhood. I got to be a mom. I'm a, I'm a, and, and, and pursuing that, I'll take this baby. I'll steal this baby and pretend it's mine. She loses it. We have to realize that there's gaining by losing. <laughs> This is just the way the scripture works. And I, I hope you're following me on this. Because so often it's like, I want to do, I want it. I'm going to seek it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to go for it. And God was like, you want to find your life. You must first lose it. If you're wondering like, why am I not finding the thing in life? Why am I not satisfied? Why is there no joy? It's because like, you're still thinking it's about you. You're still thinking it's about your joy. You're still thinking that. But when you surrender, say, not my way, not my, not my joy, but your God, yours, your will be done. And then you go, oh, now I have it? Yeah. I had to actually surrender, like, willingly. Yeah, I can't fake it. It's Genesis 15 with Abraham and Isaac. It's the idea of, or Genesis 22. God's like, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him up. Then Abraham goes and takes him. It's not like Abraham's like, okay, if I just fake that I'm giving up my son, God will give me my son back. He actually truly had to believe it, by the way. Like, you can't, like, fake that. You have to come to this place where you're like, no, no, I truly surrender. And God's like, yes. You're in this place of surrender. Here's your son. I'm willing to give up my son so he can live. Yes. You get your son back now. You want it, give it up. It's so weird. It's so different. It's so counter. I want fullness of joy in life. You want that? Then give it up. Give up your fullness and joy in life. Give that up. Don't even seek that, huh? That's when you get it. Because once you come under that authority and you go, oh my gosh, I'm actually living under what I was intended to live under. I'm living for what I was intended to live for. Now I have that joy. Now I have satisfaction. But when I sought joy and satisfaction, I was the most miserable human being on planet Earth because I kept chasing things that couldn't fulfill me. See, do you guys follow? this is so important to the Christian life. It's saying, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow after me. If you want to find your life, lose it. It's the idea of like, again, the way up is down. So the mom in a sense goes, I'm going to die. Like, I'm going to, I'm not going to be separated from my son. I'm going to put myself in misery so that he can live. Okay, awesome. Now here's your son. Take him back. And I'm not trying to say, you can fake this. You can't fake this. You can't just go, okay, God, I'm giving it to you, but I'm really not. I'm just hoping he'll say, here you go. It's not going to work. You really have to come to that place of belief of like, yes, Lord, I surrender this. I'm not saying it's going to happen to me right away. You go, oh, it clicked, it's registered. 
But there's something so beautiful when you come under the king's authority, the king's wisdom, and you say, you know what? I'm just going to surrender it. I'd rather, I'd rather, it's not about my joy, it's about this child. I give it up so I can find it. Again, this is just the gospel. Jesus is that king on the throne, and Jesus also is that first woman who's like, you know what? I'm going to die so that you can live. Jesus is the king who gives us wisdom and speaks to us and is that ultimate authority we go to. He's the one we look to. He's our source of wisdom. He's the one we come under. He's the one who says, let me show you wisdom. I'm going to give it all, leave heaven, come to earth, give up my life so I can rise again. And if I rise again, you too will one day rise. I'm going to come and conquer sin, hell, and death. And if you believe in me, though you die, you shall live. Do you believe this? This is the scripture. This is the New Testament saying, hey, you want to find your life? Lose. Again, if right now you're saying, I'm going to do it the way I want, how I want, pursue what I want, no one can tell me what to do, that is a different source of wisdom. That is not the wisdom of the true king. The wisdom of this world says, you do you. You know, treat yourself. You deserve it, right? That's the wisdom of this world. And you go, how come whenever I do that, I feel more miserable? I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't live for you. Maybe you should live for the one who created you. Maybe you should give up your life so you can find it. We see this wisdom exercise in a beautiful way. And everyone stood in awe. Oh, we finally have a wise king. When you come to see Jesus as the true king, you too will be amazed and go, what was I doing all those years without this king? Why was I trying to do it on my own? Miserable. But once I really came under and surrendered, I thought that'd be terrifying. I'm giving up my rights, my freedom, and then by giving up my freedom, I find freedom? I'm like, yeah. It's just the gospel. It's so different that way. Give it up so you can find it, ultimately. Lose your life so you can find it. Yes, amen. King Jesus offers a better source of wisdom. He is the source of wisdom. He offers a better wisdom than the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. We've tried the wisdom of this world. It's not working. It's not working. Everything your professors told you probably about sociology, it's not working. It's not. We got to go to the wisdom of the scriptures of the true king. Yes. Amen. Can we just, can we do that? Can we pray? Can we worship? Can we put him back on the throne? Let's just do that now. Jesus, we just want to say thank you for your love. There is no one like you. Jesus, you are the greater Solomon. You are the, the, the one who has all wisdom, God. You are the omniscient one. God, I ask that we would, in a similar way, just surrender. Just say, not my joy, not my life. God, I pray that as those come to you and surrender and say, you know what, not what I want, but what you want, Lord, that they would truly find life. That this world will not satisfy, it will not meet their needs the way you will. So, Lord, we come to you. We desperately need you. I need you, Lord. I need wisdom. God, I ask, would you please give me wisdom? When it comes to being a dad, when it comes to leading my family, when it comes to leading the church, when it comes to being a husband, God, I just ask for wisdom. I trust that you give it and you give it freely because you are a good God. And I ask for everyone here that they would seek you, call upon you, find it in you, Jesus, that what they're looking for is ultimately satisfied in you. And we just pray this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand and let's just end by worshiping our King.